I remember a particular day when I was in the fifth grade and my teacher, Mr. Burtonshaw, he handed out a sheet of instructions to every child in the class. This is a very important quiz, he said. You need to read all the instructions carefully before you start. You have five minutes total and your time starts now. I started to read the instructions. Number one, read all the instructions carefully before you begin. Number two, put your name in the upper right-hand corner of the page. The kid on my right started writing his name and then the girl on my left, she started doing the same. So I quickly wrote my name and then I moved on to instruction three. Well, the class was in a flurry. Pens were scratching, heads were turning, kids were counting on their fingers as they followed the next instructions. Number three, draw five small squares in the upper left-hand corner. <laughs> put an X in each square. Put a circle around each square. Sign your name under the title of this paper. Where's that? And on the back of this paper, multiply 703 by 66. Well, I joined in the furious activity. Uh, my pride was on the line. I was a high achiever in fifth grade. And I could see that the girl beside me, well, she was one question ahead. So I started to work even faster. I got to number 17. If you're the first person to reach this point, loudly call out. I am the first person to reach this point and I'm the leader in following directions. So I yelled, I'm the first person to reach this point and I'm the leader in following the directions. And there were a few giggles in the classroom, uh, but still pens were working overtime and I completed the second to last instruction. I was going to win this thing. And then I read the final instruction. Number 20, now that you've finished reading all of the instructions, complete only instructions one and two. Note, please be quiet and watch others follow directions. Mr. Burton Shaw, <laughs> he got me good. Have you ever had one of those moments when you realize that you've been concentrating on the details so much that you've missed the bigger picture? Our Bible passage today is all about making sure that when it comes to Christianity, we don't miss the bigger picture. It's all about getting the bigger picture right. And to find out exactly what that means for us, stick around as we open the Bible in just a few moments. Well, good morning and welcome to Yonville Community Church. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here. Uh, as always, we are so glad that you've joined us as we pause from other activities uh, in order to refocus our hearts and minds on the bigger picture, uh, to refocus on what is most important and to refocus on Jesus and all that he's done for us. Uh, that's our goal each Sunday, uh, to create space for us to connect with God and to worship him as we hear his word, as we learn from him, as we join together in prayer. And I do pray that you'll find that connection with God this morning. I also pray that you'll find connection with our church family. We're currently holding all of our meetings online, but we're excited to be reopening our historic church building here in Yonville in just a few weeks' time. So make sure you're signed up to our mailing list so we can keep you up to date with all of those plans. And please share our plans with other families and friends who might like to join us as we launch a fresh new ministry here in the heart of the Napa Valley. Uh, if you yourself are new with us, uh, welcome, and I'd love the chance to get to know you in the lead up to the reopening. And again, the best way to do that is to go to our website, uh, www.yonvillechurch.org, address right here, fill in a Connect card, and we'll be in touch really soon. As we enter the final phase of our construction project, thank you to everyone 
who is financially partnering with us. Uh, this building work is very exciting and, and I'll be sending some pictures with the weekly e-news emails, so make sure you sign up to those. But the building project has the sole aim of helping us to share the hope of Jesus with our friends and family in the Napa Valley and beyond. So thank you for your continued support. And if you'd like to partner with us financially, you can find out how to do that on the Give tab of our website. But for now, will you join me in prayer as we prepare to hear from God's Word? Our Heavenly Father, as we open your Word at this time, help us to put aside all distractions. Help us to give these precious minutes to you. Help us to step back from our busyness so that we can see the bigger picture and so that we can live lives that honour you and make a difference in the world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. A young girl became a Christian in an exciting revival at her church. And on the final Sunday morning, she was baptised. And that afternoon, she ran through her house singing and dancing. Her sour grandfather rebuked her with these words. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You just joined the church and you're singing and dancing on the Lord's Day. Well, I don't know if that's a true story, but it speaks volumes, doesn't it? A little girl expresses the joy of salvation. And that joy is crushed by a religious view of the Sabbath. And that juxtaposition raises the question that our passage addresses today, which is, what happens when religion gets in the way of the message? That is, what happens when religion becomes all about the details, all about the rules, all about the restrictions, so much so that it loses connection with its original purpose? What happens when religion loses sight of the bigger picture? Because that seems to have been the problem for the religious leaders in Jesus' time as our story today will show. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and to eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. The Pharisees confront Jesus for what they believe is an action that goes against God's laws concerning the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath or the day of the rest, it goes right back to the creation story where God created everything in six days and then he rested on the seventh. God decrees the Sabbath day to be holy in just the second chapter of the Bible back in Genesis chapter 2. And then God reinforces the idea of the Sabbath as the fourth commandment. Uh, this is from Exodus chapter 20 verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. So come back to the story of Jesus and the disciples picking grain in the grain field on the Sabbath. Could you call that work? Well, here's where the Pharisees got a little tangled in the details. Now, the Pharisees, they genuinely wanted to do the right thing. They, they genuinely wanted to keep the Sabbath. And so they wrote a definition of work. 
In fact, they come up with a list of 39 activities that qualified as work. And as far as they could see, Jesus and the disciples uh, could be accused of, of reaping and winnowing and threshing and preparing a meal, all because they picked a few heads of grain to chew on their journey, which, by the way, is permitted in the Old Testament law as God's way of providing for the poorest in society. So you see the issue, Jesus and the disciples, they're doing something that is permitted under the letter of the law, but it's prohibited by the Pharisees' interpretation of God's law. So who is in the right? Well, Jesus answers the Pharisees with two examples from the Old Testament that show that the law is not as black and white as the Pharisees believed. First, Jesus reminds them of the story of the famed King David, who did something that was technically unlawful when he was on the run from King Saul. Jesus answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Matthew 12, 3-4. And normally only the priests were permitted to eat the bread that had been offered to God. But by giving the bread to David when they did, it saved his life so that he could go on to fulfill God's purposes for him as the anointed king of Israel which in turn led, to the country, uh, led the country into a period of renewed zeal for God. Jesus points to another example of the letter of the law being broken for the sake of something better. And he does that by pointing to the priesthood. Verse 5. Well, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. The priests in the temple worked double time on the Sabbath. They prepared twice the number of offerings compared to every other day of the week. But their work is instrumental to the way that God's people find the ultimate Sabbath rest because we find our true Sabbath in worshipping. But in order to worship, somebody has to work to make it happen. Something greater than the temple is here, says Jesus. Jesus takes that mechanical view of religion the rigid rule-keeping view of religion. And he teaches that there is a better way, a way where we find life not in the letter of the law, but in the spirit of the law. Jesus is greater than great King David, and Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus brings God's purposes back into the center of our religious life by reminding us what is more important. Verse 7, If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus teaches us the principle that stands behind God's laws. The law ought to lead us to the heart of God. The law ought to teach us that mercy is more important than ritual. Doing what is upright and good and in line with the way that God shaped the universe, well, that is more important than keeping strict rules, especially when keeping the rule does more damage than breaking the rule. And that's where the second story in our passage comes in. It's a test case that asks us which is more important, mercy or rule-keeping. Verse 9. Going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Matthew 12, 9-10. 
And this again was one of the points where the Pharisees had developed extra rules around God's original commandments for what was permitted and what was not. In the Pharisees' interpretation, it was lawful to give aid to someone in a life and death situation on the Sabbath, but not to help somebody with a non-threatening condition, a non-life-threatening condition, like the man with the shriveled hand. But Jesus uses an example from the Pharisees' so-called laws to point out the flaw in their logic. Verse 11, he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? And therefore it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Matthew 12, 11-12. The point of the Sabbath, Jesus says, it's about sharing in the rest of God. It's about sharing in the blessing of God's rest, the life-giving refreshment of enjoying what God has given us. It's a day for good. But the Pharisees had turned the day of rest into a day filled with religious burdens. And sadly, that burden continues today for many people who've confused religion with living under the blessings of God. Like the grandfather in the story I read at the beginning, salvation loses its joy when religion's all about trying to make the grade or trying to earn your good standing with God. Instead, Jesus shows us the greater way, which is a life that reflects the good purposes of that God created us for, a life which reflects the heart and the values of God, a life which is good. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep, says Jesus. And to show everybody what God values, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out and it was completely restored just as sound as the other. Matthew 12 verse 13. Jesus desires mercy, not sacrifice. He desires heart, not religion. Spirit-filled obedience, not sour religious observance. Compassion, not robotic compliance. See, Jesus wants us to be transformed, to be more like him. And Jesus helps us to do that as he sends the Holy Spirit to do his work in us. The Spirit takes our heart of stone and he makes it into a heart of flesh. Because this passage today is really about the two different responses that we see to Jesus. There is the hard heart of the Pharisees, the stony heart that lacks compassion, the stony heart that has forgotten the beating heart of God's message. And then there are hearts that have been brought back to life as the lifeblood of Jesus flows through them, as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, as they're filled with resurrection power. These hearts beat in tune with God's heart, hearts that share the same mercy and grace and goodness as the good and loving Father. These are the two responses that we see in the passage, the, the two ways that our life can go according to where we stand with Jesus. The Pharisees, in their hard-heartedness, they reject Jesus and they reject the transformation that he brings. Right after Jesus heals the man with a shriveled hand, this is the very next sentence in our passage of Scripture. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Matthew 12 verse 14. How do people genuinely seeking to do the work of God become the kind of people who would destroy the work of God? Because I believe the Pharisees had the best of intentions. But somewhere along the way in their frenzy of fastidious law keeping, it appears that they lost touch with God. 
they lost sight of the bigger picture of God's plan. They, they stopped listening to God's voice and they replaced it with their own traditions and their own wisdom and they refused to receive God's correction. And we ought to hear the word of warning in this passage because with the best of intentions, some churches get caught up in their own version of the law as it relates to worship and church style and membership and the version of the Bible we read. And I say this gently, but sometimes that overly rigid attitude leads to destroying the work of God. And the evidence is there in black and white in Tom Rayner's sobering book, uh, Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Rayner is a church researcher and the book is all about identifying the factors that contributed to the slow death of a number of US churches. The problem for the Pharisees and the problem for the overly rigid church is that they lose touch with the bigger picture of what God is doing. They get caught up in the practice and they forget the principles. Tradition trumps worshipping in spirit and truth. Religion gets in the way. One of the things I love about church planting is that it forces you to rethink everything from first principles. Why do we do what we do in church? How do we determine what is core and what is peripheral? And how do we bring the timeless truth of the gospel to a new generation? Well, the answer is this. We go back to the heart of God and we listen to God in the Bible and we make decisions that are in line with God's big plan for this world as revealed through the scriptures. And actually, that's what each of us should do day by day as we follow the pathways that God has laid out for us. When our hearts are open to God and when our hearts are open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, God brings the kind of transformation and restoration and healing that is at the heart of his plan for the universe. And we see that plan in action in the final section of our passage today. Jesus goes away from the confrontation with the Pharisees and he heals many more people. Jesus shows the crowd and he shows us where all of history is heading. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. As Jesus heals the crowds, he shows that God's long-term plan is the healing of all things. God's plan leans towards justice and mercy and hope. And those are the things that Jesus brings. And that's what we want to bring to the Napa Valley and beyond when, we, when our church reopens. We want to share the hope of God's plan to bring healing and transformation and restoration and justice. We want to share God's heart of mercy and his forgiveness through the story of the cross. And we, we want to share the absolute joy of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and the story of resurrection and heaven and eternity. That's what we want to share. So will you join me in praying that we would be that kind of church, sharing that hope here in the Napa Valley and beyond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the big picture has always been there for us to see. Your trajectory of all of history leading towards restoring us to a relationship with you, um, uh, forgiving our sin, healing us of all that uh, has gone wrong in our lives and all of the things that happened to us. Father, we long for that day to come. But we know that even now you are changing us and transforming us by the Holy Spirit. So Father, take us and use us to share the hope of Jesus 
uh, to share the forgiveness of Jesus, to share the story of Jesus, to share the transformation of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond so that your son is glorified and so that many people can share in the glorious future that we have with him around the throne for all of eternity. We pray this blessing your name and thanking you for this beautiful story that we share in. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.